Welcome to the Tree Leaf Zendo podcast. Tree Leaf is a Soto Zen Sangha available anytime, anywhere at treeleaf.org. Come sit with us. Hi, this is Jindal, and it's Blasphemy Day. Take that Buddha statue behind me, toss it out the window. It doesn't care. You know, our traditions in Zen have been built on a great mix of tradition and honoring the old-fashioned ways and that which occurs on the cutting edge. And without both, we'd be dead in the water. Let me explain. But first... We go to Paris, 19th century, the Impressionists. They try to show their stuff. And the Académie de Beaux Arts, that's the school of traditional French artists who dictated the way to paint. They looked at the Impressionists and they said, that, monsieur, is not art. You're all fuzzy. Can't see what you're painting. You're breaking the rules. And they threw the Impressionists out of the Academy. Come a little later, and we have Elvis shaking his pelvis. And the same old fuddy-duddies said, that's not music. Well, you know what happened after that. Now, I'm not saying that everything new is necessarily good. But a lot that's new is and it breaks the rules and it goes its own way and it doesn't follow the mold that people want to force it in now what's happening in american zen is we're turning into a church i'm talking to you reverend ford some folks want to dictate exactly what our catechism is well that's not quite true there's still a lot of freedom and growth in American Zen. But they want to dictate certain things that are very dangerous. They want to dictate, for example, how many hours someone needs to sit before they're a real Zen teacher. I'm going to talk about that next time, where a lovely, brilliant teacher often seen here at Sweeping Zen. Daiho was told that the exit's that way. Actually, he wasn't even let in the door of the AZTA because of some perceived mm, lack of following the road, the same road as everybody else 20 years ago. And he is one of the gifted lights of American Zen. I'll talk about that next time. But the point is that many people in American Zen are trying to lay down the rules. You got to be this. You got to follow this path. You got to go to this monastery. You got to study this book. And you got to 
believe in this and you got to practice that if you want to be a real Zen priest. And I'm talking specifically my own tradition, Soto Zen. They're trying to put us into molds. They're trying to force us to be like everybody else. And you know what? You know what, Reverend Ford? I support you. Yes, you heard me right. I think you're doing the right thing. People now are really scratching their heads. What? Yes. I think it's very important for most Zen priests to follow the old traditional ways if that's what they want to do. Monasteries have been around for 2,000 years. They're powerful, powerful places, retreats, sitting long hours of Zazen. This is the doorway for so many. Of course, I support it. You thought I was going to say no? But here's where they're making a mistake. Reverend Ford and others who think my way or the highway. You got to leave room for the gifted misfits, the beautiful iconoclasts, the powerful guys who came through the monastery of hard knocks, who didn't follow the road that you went, but went the road less traveled to a beat of a different drummer. All those sayings about the people who are not quite like the rest. Some of them are gifted. And let me tell you something. For the entire history of Buddhism, they have been the engines of change. Now, not everybody new or gifted or who didn't follow the rules is wonderful. Quite the contrary. That's what these people are worried about. If you didn't sit a certain number of hours, you must be somehow something wrong with you. That's their mistake. You see, a lot of people who don't go through traditional training, self-proclaimed Zen masters, guys who fake their teachers and fake their credentials and, and claim some fake Satori and become a guru and this and that and that. Yeah, those people are out there. And we have to watch that because a lot of them are simply con men, people who abuse, people who take advantage, hucksters. Sure. But here's the thing that people forget. And this is what I've been babbling about the last few weeks here at Sweeping Zen. A lot of guys with all the proper paperwork and the hours of sitting and the fancy robes and the gifted lineage claims to their teachers and their teachers' teachers, they have proven to be as fake as $3 bills, abusers, double talkers, manipulators, and they've got all the right paperwork. You see, just having gone through the Orthodox Academy does not make it any more likely that you're going to be a brilliant teacher. And let me tell you something. A lot of weirdos are attracted to Zen. I'm going to say it directly. People who come into Zen are not your normal folks. I would say that 
having gone through the normal program does not necessarily guarantee you're going to get a mentally stable individual. But that's a subject for another day. Let's go in the other direction. Are a lot of people who don't have all the I's and T's dotted on their paperwork, are they fakes? Some of them are, sure. But you know what? You got your Elvis with your pelvis and your impressionist there too. You got your gifted ones. And you have to leave room, listen to me, you have to leave room for people who travel a different road. You have to look at the total picture of who these people are. If a guy has been practicing for 20 years, like Harvey, Daiho, and if people say, you know, hey, that guy's got something. And if you pick up what he writes and you can say, there's substance here. What do you care that 20 years ago he was a little short on what you consider to be proper monastic training? And I say that with my finger up. We're so worried about purity here. Baloney. You know who's pure in Zen? Nobody. Our entire lineage is a big faked up thing. Ah, you go back. 100 years, 500 years, 1,000 years, and they strung together our claims to be a direct line to the Buddha. We all recognize it now. And then, you know, Dogen went to China. He had the wrong precepts. The Chinese looked at him as a, a guy who was basically a layman with fancy clothes. And then we started marrying and eating meat and drinking booze. Then they came to America, and God knows what we're – oh, sorry – Buddha knows whatever we're doing here. Some of our most famous teachers, even in modern times, their paperwork is not quite in order, but we overlook it. I'm going to talk about that next week too. We overlook it because it's what they're doing now, not what the paperwork says. Look at the total picture. You have to leave room for the misfits. Of course, I'm talking selfishly because I am a blasphemer. People look at what we're doing at Tree Leaf with sticking a camera on the computer and they think, oh, this is the end of Buddhism. I'll tell you a funny story. I did online ordinations, you know, with my priests in Europe and America over the internet. We had the ceremony and some in the church. The same folks, yeah, that I've mentioned, didn't want to recognize this because there was a camera on. So last year I got on a plane, met my priest in person. We lit some incense. We held the ceremony in the same room. Suddenly it's okay because I got on a plane, you know, burned some fuel, put a hole in the ozone layer. That is orthodox. And I said to him, I said, you know, we're in a whole tradition which is based on bringing long dead ancestors and imaginary Buddhas into the room with us in which time and space is forgotten. And you're worried about the fact that I, this ceremony is occurring through a modem. Get over yourselves. Growth in Zen in all of Buddhism has always happened on the edges. If it's a good thing. I'm not saying everything on the edge. 
is a good thing. You know, a lot of the music that's on the edge, you ever been to a fish concert? Eh. But a lot of what happens on the edge is really, really good. The reason the growth has always come on the edge with the rule breakers is the reason that we're not all practicing the same Buddhism as back in India. Every generation made a change. Every generation threw in something new and different cultures and different times. And finally, it came to the Zen folks and they threw the rule book out completely. Yes, a lot of them were monastics and they practiced the, the safe way. But then you had the guys and that's what the whole book about the sixth ancestor is about. He couldn't read. He wasn't even a priest. Never even perhaps, I'm going to say something sacrilegious. Do you know something? The sixth ancestor of the Platform Sutra, one of the big bosses in the head office there, you know, the sixth ancestors, right up there with Bodhidharma and the Buddha himself, the sixth ancestor may not, in fact, have advocated Zazen, might have felt it's not necessary. Seated Zazen is not necessary. All of life is of Zazen. All of life, all of life is our temple. All of life is Zazen, according to the sixth ancestor. If you read closely the Platform Sutra. Now, you get to the end of the Platform Sutra, and there's actually a little paragraph right at the end. It's really the almost, I believe, the last paragraph in the Platform Sutra. And he suddenly says, after I die, my students... Be sure to keep sitting Zazen together. You know, there's some evidence that that was thrown in later because people of the Buddhist academy were scandalized by this platform sutra, not making it clear that you needed to sit Zazen. So at the end, they stuck in this little appendix and they said, and um, if I wasn't clear, you guys have to sit Zazen. You see, he's a rule breaker. Even the rule... I believe in of sitting Zazen, it doesn't mean it's for all Zen people. Not everybody has to be alike. Look at the substance. We are a people of mold breaking, iconoclastic blasphemy. You know, like many people, when I first came to Zen, I was fascinated by the fact that it had no rules, man. All the traditions were out the window. And then I found out that, well, actually, there are a lot of rules, a lot of traditions. As you can see behind me, pretty traditional Japanese room with my incense and my candles and the zafus over there. Zen has, in fact, always been a dance of tradition and the tradition breakers, the old and the new, because shining right through it is the timeless if we fall into one extreme or the other, we're lost. Alan Watts talked about this when he, you know, talked about square Zen and beat Zen. You ever read that? The square fuddy-duddies who are just interested in doing it with their ceremonies and their incense and doing it the way, and they don't have a creative bone in the body. I'm going to tell you how many anal retentives there are in the Zen world who just are here because they just want to do it because it's a very organized practice and you put the incense this way and you light the candle that way and it makes them feel good. But if you went the other direction to the beatniks, to the mold breakers alone, you're going to have chaos too. 
chaos. Even the things are done with paint and you need some skill and they were trained. Even the most modern of painters. Well, let's put it this way. There is a difference between the guy who just threw paint on the canvas and the guy who had talent and threw paint on the canvas. Mold breaking alone is not the answer. We are a fine balance between the traditional and the new. Do not exclude one or the other. I'm saying this again, Reverend Ford and all the others who would think the same. Keep room for the misfits. The Buddha over there, he doesn't care. Just one final story before I let you go. Right after 9-11, I was uh, leading a Zazen Kai in Florida. And uh, people were all upset. Bin Laden, it was right after the towers had come down. We were invading Afghanistan. And I took the Buddha statue off the altar there, and I put up three pictures. In the middle were the Twin Towers. On the right was George Bush, and on the left was a picture of Osama bin Laden, and we did our whole Heart Sutra ceremony. I had everyone bowing down to those three Buddhas. People were scandalized. Some people refused, said I was insulting the Buddha. Sometimes uh, I take my Buddha statue there. It's just my thing. I'll put up an old tennis shoe, my uh, kids' dirty diapers, a flower, uh, empty space, a Coke bottle. I don't care. I'm trying to make a point sometimes. Am I a blasphemer? You know, the good thing about blasphemy and Zen, we don't stab and assassinate each other. We don't blow up each other like in some of those other religions. There are religions where if I say something about Buddha, some guy's going to come and put TNT in my car. Actually, we have those people in Buddhism too. Don't get me wrong. We got some extremists, just like any religion. Some people who believe their Buddha is the Buddha. But no one is going to blow me up or assassinate me. I give them credit for that. But they will sometimes try to silence you, kick you, them out, kick you out of their organizations. You might have heard something about that recently. If you got a big mouth, if you complain too much. Some people don't like it. We also try to burn our, well, burn our heretics, heretics at the stake in a different way. But that's enough for today. You got the point. There's room for all of us, man. Just make sure it's a good thing. Here's to rock and roll. Here's to modern art. Here's to you. That's it. Thank you for joining us for the Treeleaf Zendo podcast. Treeleaf is an online practice place for people who cannot easily attend a Zen center due to health, location, work, childcare, or family needs. We provide netcast Zazen, retreats, discussion, Jukai, the support of fellow practitioners, interaction with a teacher, and all other activities of a Zen Buddhist Sangha, all fully online, accessible anytime, anywhere, without charge. Come build the future of online Zen community and practice.